Please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, we come before you on your Sabbath day on this rather cool Sabbath, but warm here and warm in our hearts to come before you, to honor you and worship you in all things. We appreciate the prayers that we receive during the week to keep going on your, in your word and in your ways, to be strong in our outreach to reach many for the calling that you've given us. We pray that you'll watch over your people, be with those of a special need, Brother Paul and Jack, that you would continue to guide their healing and be with them, and also those that are suffering this day, wherever they might be, who have a heart for you and a desire to follow your ways. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll be with us during this service, this message, that it might be your words that would be... a great help for many who are struggling with issues and don't understand. Perhaps we can do a little toward that. And we pray also that you'll watch over your people, wherever they might be, in the coming weeks ahead. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. Well, that song, it says, To Make a Wretch's Treasure, kind of sums up what uh, might say the, my message is about today. I was uh, The other day I made a rather poor decision, and my wife reminded me to think things through before you fly by the seat of your pants. Well, it's great advice for most decisions in life. It's great advice, the best advice for those who are seeking truth, to prove first what they've been told, what they're studying, what they would like to know about Yahweh's word, to think it through, go all the way out with it to its ultimate conclusion. You know, it's implicit in Paul's command to prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. That's Paul's message to us. Don't let somebody else do it. You do it. You prove all things. Whenever I first read Ecclesiastes 9.5, I was reminded that life is a terrible thing to waste, or more accurately, it's a terrible thing to waste your life. He says, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. You know, it's so amazing how someone's life, someone's uh, existence can be so easily forgotten once they're gone. We see it all the time. Because of false teachings, most think their existence continues after death. So in contradiction to what King Solomon was inspired to write, the vast majority believe that when they leave their life, they go on to another. They don't stop and think through what death means. If they knew that death means complete lights out, maybe more would come to a Yahshua experience. Maybe some would realize, you know what? I think I'd better examine what my life is all about and where my life will end up. Most live out there a lot of time on earth focused entirely on the world and the worldly, constantly striving for what this world has to offer. And then when it's all said and done, everything they earned And live for goes to someone else. Yahweh is giving his called out ones the opportunity of the ages to become part of something greater. 
to become part of a kingdom that he and his father are calling each of us to join him, to join them in an everlasting life. Our choice is either to to, uh, throw all our efforts and aspirations into a few decades here or prepare one day for an existence we can't even fathom. Superficiality and temporal nature of this existence cannot compare, can't even begin to compare what Yahweh has in store. And he says you don't even know. You don't even realize what's ahead of you if you come to be with me in the kingdom. It's an awesome and endless kingdom enjoying rewards far exceeding our limited comprehension. We don't even, we can't even think, even if we tried to imagine what his, his uh, kingdom would be like. We don't, we don't get there. We don't know. Paul wrote, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which Elohim has prepared for them that love him. He's quoting Isaiah 64.4. You know, comparing this existence with the one to come is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. And my apologies to Mark Twain. He, he said it in a different way for a different reason. But, uh, you know, think about it. It's, <laughs> this life, we think is wonderful. Maybe we think we've, you know, this is, this is it. It's nothing compared to what is to come. None of the joys of life can hold a candle to a fraction of what's ahead. Temporal gains are all that most people who don't think it through understand. King Solomon tried living life to the max, and he he had all the resources to do it. It's been estimated in uh, his wealth, in our money, would be well over $2 trillion. Can you imagine? $2 trillion. I don't know what the GNP of uh, America is, but we're, we're up in that stratosphere, and that's how much this man had if he had wanted to use it. But after indulging in every desire, every pleasure known to man, his conclusion, this world is vanity. It's vanity. Fear Yahweh and keep his commandments, he said. That's our duty. That's what you've got to strive for. When it comes to biblical understanding, most float in the twilight zone. They, They just have some vague idea of a few things, and that's as far as it goes. They don't know the rudiments. I have a a challenge. Tell someone who claims to follow the Bible to look up chapter 1 in the book of Hezekiah and then watch him flip around for about an hour and finally give up. It ain't there. Ask the man in the pew whether the book of Hebrews is Old Testament or New Testament. Or challenge them to tell you how old Joan of Arc was when she married Noah. I'm playing with you a little bit here. But, I mean, that's really how much people know. They don't know anything when it comes to Scripture, and it's sad. And our world is getting worse and worse in that regard. We're on a quest to understand and restore forgotten knowledge of the truth. That's our job here. 
so that others can learn and one day be called into the kingdom. That is our desire, to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 58, 12, to rebuild the old waste places that have fallen down over centuries, places that once were understood by Bible believers but have since been lost in time, lost, put away, and forgotten, to raise up the foundation of many generations, to repair the breach and restore right paths that have been lost for 2,000 years. You know, the average person has an inborn resistance to the mere mention of obeying the one who made them. The common belief, built on centuries of misteaching, is that heavenly rewards will be granted anyway, regardless of how I live. Right? Because I don't really die. I go on to heaven. From Genesis through Revelation, the Bible says just the opposite. Everyone will be judged by and rewarded based on the life they live. John wrote in Revelation 20:12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, notice, according to their works according to what they did in life. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for Elohim shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. Now, there's a thought. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, that's a sobering thing to learn, to understand. All that a person has done will come up for review and examination, and there's no do-overs. That's it. When it's over, it's over. Many worship themselves, as one celebrity once equipped about her infant, my baby is my religion. That's how shallow. Here is how Romans 8, 7 describes the natural carnal man. Because the carnal mind is enmity against Elohim, for it is not subject to the law of Elohim, neither indeed can be. They're that far gone. Paul also wrote now, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of Elohim. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of Elohim. But the natural man receives not those things of the spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Whole different level on a whole different plane. He can't make that leap. Because he's carnally minded and hasn't humbled himself. The unconverted individual can no more understand Yahweh than a squirrel in the forest. Like the squirrel, his whole existence consists of what he sees, hears, smells, and eats in his limited corner of the world, of the woods. In Galatians 6, 7 to 8, Yahweh gives us a choice. He says, our future is up to each one of us. Be not deceived, Yahweh is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit, he's spiritually minded. He's spiritually minded. It's always in his thoughts and what he does and what he says. Shall reap Life everlasting. 
we can have whichever way we want. That, that's the beauty of this life. We have a choice. We can do what we want. We can have a short-term, temporary existence here of mostly pain and suffering filled with emptiness or an exciting, blessed world to come where we can serve for an eternity. Seventy years is nothing. I mean, that's what he promises. Seventy years. That's nothing. We're talking eternity. We're talking about never-ending. Immortality comes only from Yahweh. He alone has it. First Timothy 6.16 says of him who only has immortality. And, of course, we know he gave it to his son when he raised him from the dead, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see. It's not something we innately possess, as most people think. The prevailing belief out there is that every person has a resident immortal soul that flitters off as soon as he dies, that waits to be released at death to fly away for a heavenly reward, and that's the basic teaching of the Gnostics. They taught that this world is evil. The spirit world is what we want to be, and they thought that we were in the spirit world and... Uh, Yahweh kind of goofed up and made a physical world, and we're trying to get out of it, trying to get out of this physical world. When you, go, when you die, you go straight to paradise or to the place of hot coals, whatever it is, you're going to be there forever. It doesn't make a lot of sense in some ways, though. Where, uh, how does the resurrection and judgment fit in, and what's the need for the judgment? They don't think it through. They don't think it through. You don't need a judgment if you've already been judged and you're gone one place or another. No wonder most are unconcerned with how they live their lives. No wonder they don't care if they don't have his name right and worship in the proper name that he's given us. They don't honor the Sabbaths. They don't care because they've already got it. They've already got it made. They don't care if they generally disobey Yahweh because they've thrown out the laws and everything. Anyway, so no wonder he's not resident in their hearts. That's the world. They have no need. They think they're already destined for eternity, and that was the belief of the mystery religions. Babylon, Greece, Rome, they all had that belief. That's where it comes from. doesn't come from the Bible. Some ask, but doesn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 8 that to be absent from the body is to be present with Yahshua? Doesn't he say that? Well, We have a note in the RSB on that explains that Paul is just stating his heart's desire. I'd rather be with Yahshua, prefer to be with Yahshua, than in this mortal body. I think we'd all like that, we who have a, a mind's eye in the spirit realm. Their immortality belief is the original, originally satanic one foisted upon our parents. It's the very heresy that Satan himself planted on Adam and Eve, and people still believe it. Oh, you won't surely die. You won't, Eve. You, 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 for Yahweh knows that when you eat of this forbidden fruit, you'll be like him. You'll be mighty one yourself, so do it for you. Have you ever wondered why Eve didn't think it through? Why would Yahweh put forbidden fruit right in front of her that if she took, she would be as great as he is? Omniscient as he is. She never thought it through. 
put it easy, in easy reach that would make Adam and Eve as powerful and immortal as he himself. She didn't think it through. Like millions after her, Eve never applied her critical thinking skills before that sin came about. And the beat goes on. Most egregious is that still believing that lie of Hasatan, the vast majority don't really think they need Yahweh. They're told they're already immortal and will be an everlasting life no matter how they live. You know, our culture has lost sight of who is behind our existence. Who created and energizes the universe? I was sent a book on evolution, against evolution, about this thick. It's an amazing book. You look at, you know, if if you don't get into the nitty-gritty, you don't realize that none of this could happen on its own. You look at science and all its studies of all the different aspects of this world. There's no way. There's no way it could happen on its own with nothing behind it. It just, it's impossible. It's just totally ridiculous to think it can happen like that. By itself, with nothing behind it. Nothing created everything. That's just, that's insanity. But they're teaching it. They're teaching it all over colleges and universities. Through the teaching of evolution, many believe that the universe created and drives itself. Everything came from nothing. No need for Yahweh. And evolution really is a way of get, to get Yahweh out of it. You know, we don't. We don't need a creator. It's an ingenious plot of the adversary to eliminate Yahweh himself. Many scientists through astronomy, physics, chemistry, mathematics, electricity, and other disciplines believe they have the answer to all that exists. If they would just think through what they believe, they would see that all these sciences have a mastermind behind them. All of these disciplines are driven by a mind. It's the only way it could happen. In fact, all they really have are a few answers to questions about the physical universe. They haven't even begun to understand the spiritual because they can't. They can't. They, they don't, as they, I mean, as they try to figure out the physical, they, they, they can't jump to the spiritual for most of them. All man's wisdom is foolishness. Paul writes in Romans 1.22, we cannot even comprehend our own brains, let alone all those evolved brains to figure out how evolution got here and how we got here, even though our own brains were supposed to be the result of evolution. Almighty Yahweh answers man's folly in Isaiah 44.24. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, and He that formed you from the womb, I am Yahweh that makes all things, that stretches forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by itself, by myself, that frustrates the tokens of the liars. I would say that's pretty much evolutionist. And makes diviners mad, that turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolish. Yahweh is the mighty one of nature, as well as the ruler over spiritual things. He fits both worlds. He is the last word. He is the final authority. From his creator, man learns about morality, about right and wrong. Evolution can't teach any of that, doesn't know it. 
There's nothing really moral or immoral about the behavior of a dog or a monkey or a fish. Think about it. They just act as they were programmed. They act according to instinct. Their brains were pre-wired. They behaved strictly on how they were designed. But Yahweh says that when he created man, he upped the ante. His own, in his own image, with free will. And when he created humankind, he brought the spiritual world in touch with the physical. Along with the physical laws that he gave on this, produced, really, in this world, when he created it, we have spiritual laws, moral, ethical laws, standards of right and wrong that he also gave. And then he gives us a choice. Rewards that cannot be imagined or everlasting death. Which one do you want? Evolution fits right into the atheistic mind. They call it science, but by definition, science is something that has to be observed and tested. How do you observe and test evolution? You can't. It's not science. It's a philosophy. It's a religion. What it boils down to. You can't reproduce it. You can't put it in a test tube. You can't do that. That's science. Evolution is not science. But I remember in eighth grade, I had a chemistry teacher says that evolution is a fact. The science of evolution is a fact. It's no longer a theory. But it didn't fit the definition. So one of the premier Darwinian atheists of our time, Richard Dawkins, wrote, Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance, notice the word, of having been designed for a purpose. Then he says, we have seen that living things are too improbable and too beautifully designed to have come into existence by chance. He just contradicted himself. He didn't think it through. Excuse me, what did you just admit, Mr. Dawkins? Try thinking through what you just said. As one writer noted, for things so complex in our world to have been thrown together suddenly by some kind of freakish, vastly improbable event would be indistinguishable from a miracle. So he's talking miracles. We're talking a religion, right? That's what it amounts to. Now we can answer the question about what makes right and wrong, good and evil, what is it about the nature of sin that makes sin evil, that makes sin bad? The often quoted Greek philosophers and all their vaunted human wisdom certainly didn't know beyond realizing that right and wrong have consequences. They couldn't give you the basics, the summation, the source. The answer they could not or would not arrive at is Yahweh. Yahweh and he alone is the standard that creates right and wrong in both physical and spiritual universes. Moral right and wrong on this earth are determined by Yahweh. Simple as that. Simple as that. According to his nature and his character. Without Yahweh, right and wrong would have no meaning. It wouldn't matter, right? It wouldn't matter without him. Right and wrong emanate from the spiritual where Yahweh dwells, not from the natural physical world. Because man is a physical being first, 
and not spiritual first, as the Gnostics thought, I mean in a spirit realm, living in the spirit realm, he must be taught about right and wrong. It must be part of his education on this earth. Good and evil, these are spiritual principles that don't come automatically to humans, certainly not through evolution. And you're not going to find it there. That big, thick book I have, it doesn't even deal with that because it's not there. It's not part of this evolutionary scam. There's no moral right and wrong about the way nature operates. If a frog is bitten by a snake and eaten, there's no morality involved. It's just a frog getting bitten and eaten by a snake. But if I strike my neighbor, I've broken a spiritual law and am deserving of punishment. Why? Because Yahweh and only Yahweh defined such actions as sin. That's sin. It is Yahweh who brings morality into our life. If I steal from my neighbor, I've taken Yahweh's spiritual, moral law and violated it. Claiming that Yahweh, his laws as given in the covenant are unnecessary is to denigrate Yahweh himself. He gave them. He says, these are my instructions to you. You don't believe the instructions, you're denigrating him. You're disassociating yourself from him. Yahweh's character is the measure of righteousness, and his laws are the expression of his own attributes. He says the laws are holy, just and good. Therefore, to reject them is to reject what makes Yahweh who he is. That's what he lives by. His laws are his standard for behavior. No wonder the evil one would like to destroy obedience. Obedience in the Bible. Obedience to the word. He'd like to destroy that because in the process he's destroying Yahweh. The pompous academic will say, well, how do you know what is right and wrong? How do you know what is truth? Truth is relative. Your truth may not be the same for everyone, he'll say. This is, this is why lawless individuals have an aversion to the Bible and those who follow it. Go to any secular university, anywhere in this country, anywhere in the world, for that matter, and you'll find an abundance of those who harbor a dislike for Bible-based standards and morality. And beliefs. They don't realize that the Bible has influenced so many areas of our life, so much of history. It's amazing. I just sat down last night thinking about this. Just just off the top of my head, basically. The seven-day week, where did that come from? That's from the Bible, and that's what everybody lives by, seven-day week. The sabbatical that professors take, you know, every seven years to go out and study or fool around whatever they do. That term, that idea is in the scriptures. We keep a sabbatical land rest. So that's what uh, they're basically doing. They're getting in line with that idea of a sabbatical. Hundreds of words and phrases come out of the Bible that people use every day. Numerous names given to babies through the centuries are biblical names. Think about it. Just (laughs) go through the Old Testament Uh, prophets and uh, writers, and you'll find names all over the place in society today. Big-name universities that were started by churches to reach the Bible. Yale and Harvard were begun by Puritans. 
Princeton was Presbyterian. Oxford and Cambridge started as religious schools. They'll never tell you that. Look it up. Think things through. The Liberty Bell is inscribed by a passage from Leviticus 25. Moses and the Ten Commandments are sculpted at the top of the Supreme Court building. Right under the roof, there's Moses withholding the Ten Commandments. George Lindbeck, former professor of theology at Yale University, once described the cultural position of the Bible in American culture this way. Its stories, images, conceptual patterns, and terms of phrases permeated the culture from top to bottom. This was true even for illiterates and those who did not go to church for knowledge of the Bible was transmitted not only directly by its reading, hearing, and ritual enactment, but also indirectly by an interwoven net of intellectual, literary, artistic, folklore, and proverbial traditions. There was a time when every educated person, no matter how professedly unbelieving or secular, knew the actual text from Genesis through Revelation. That's how far we strayed. Sin has overwhelmed our culture. The Bible is not the standard the world aspires to anymore, but it will be one day. When Yahshua sets his kingdom on this earth, you bet. The law is going to go forth out of Zion, he said. Everybody will obey. If not, you get plagued. If the Egyptians don't go up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, guess what? No rain. No rain means starvation. Starvation means disease and death. Oh, yeah. This world will honor him eventually. He's given us some time to do what we want. And then he says, okay, that's the end. The whistle's blown. Paul wrote, because the carnal mind is enmity against Elohim, it is not subject to the law of Elohim, neither indeed can be. The prophets understood. Isaiah confirms the basic nature of unrepentant man. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have spread taken us away. Isaiah 64, 6. He just described what's in our natural element. If we want to stay carnal, that's how Yahweh will see us. The result of that kind of life is destruction because it will limit us only to the natural existence of a finite physical world. The only way we can have a choice at that spiritual world where life never ends is to become like Yahweh in mind and in heart in all that we do and in our behavior. In other words, to become spiritual. That's precisely what the law does. People have an aversion to obedience, but you got to have it. You got to have obedience or your life doesn't change. That's what his laws accomplish because that is at the root of his laws, and it's spiritual. Paul wrote, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. He compared himself to to the righteousness of the word and the righteousness of Yahweh, and he says, you know what? i got to keep my body under subjection, lest I myself be a castaway. In 1 Peter 1, 16, we read, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Quoted from Leviticus eleven forty four, And again, there's so much in the Old Testament 
It comes straight, New Testament, it comes straight out of the Old Testament. So much. Holy means set apart, set apart from the physical, from the worldly, from sin and its corruption. Why, since all men have sinned by violating Yahweh's laws, did Yahweh not just lower the bar? Remove the law. That's what our culture does. If something uh, like marijuana becomes a problem that we just can't deal with, just remove the law against marijuana. If we don't like something uh, that, that grates against our natural uh, carnal nature, just remove it. Just get it out. That way we don't have to worry about it. That doesn't mean we change anywhere. No, that doesn't make any difference. But to conform to him, we have to obey what he says to do. That's, that's all there is to it. Instead of trying to change men, why not just eliminate the standards? After all, no one's able to live up to them anyway, they say. Not to say that anybody that does is somehow, you know, put up on a pedestal. <laughs> it just humbles us. We realize we can't, in our natural state, ever attain that. We need his help. We need the power of his spirit. Yahweh's moral spiritual laws are not the result of his own whim. He didn't just sit down one day and say, let's see. I'll make murder wrong. I'll make stealing bad. Um, I'll make uh, lying a sin and cheating unscrupulous. He didn't just do that and then hand it over to man and say, okay, this, this is what, uh, how I define bad behavior. He only followed his own dictates, his own nature, his own character. And I want you to become like me. He says, so do as I do. Live as I live. Same thing. It's a part of him set from heaven down to earth. He gives to us. His, to reflect himself, his very character and nature. To change or remove that is to change or remove him. And that is impossible. Yahweh is unchangeable. As he said himself, for I am Yahweh, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Malachi 3.6. Sin is contrary to the work of Yahweh, but also to the very nature of Yahweh. It, they're incompatible. Yahweh and his holiness requires that sin result in death. Yahweh is life, sin is death. That is, that is the way things are by virtue of the way Yahweh made us and by our world. Just the way we do. It's like the squirrel. Just This is how he acts because that's how he's made. Yahweh wants us to take on his nature. To change. Since many say that the law has been done away... That doesn't make it so. In fact, resistance is futile. Yahweh himself said a man's rebellious ways and thinking are destined to be destroyed, and he commands us to obey him or else. You know, you hear the fire and brimstone preachers of yesteryear, and people shaking in their, in their pews, you know. I can imagine pews practically falling over when some of these guys get up there. But you know what? Life back then was a lot more moral, too. We've got so many poles on so many different directions 
to immorality. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yahweh says man's ways and thinking are destined to be destroyed. And he commands us then to follow him, to obey him, to love him. Let no man deceive you with vain words, words spoken against the truth. For because of these things comes the wrath of Elohim upon the children of disobedience. Ephesians 5, 6. When Yahweh put man on earth, he introduced his living, his philosophy, his mind on this earth as well. The spiritual aspects of him. He told Adam and Eve what was right, what was wrong, do what's right. They did what's wrong, mostly. Israel did what's wrong, mostly. He's calling them out. I want to make them a premier example of following him. These are my people, he says. Set them up to show the world what it's like to live his ways. They didn't do it either. So he says, okay. Yasha comes. He says, all right. I will choose whom I will. Anyone can come to me. Doesn't have to be of Israel. Anybody can, anybody can come to me and find the truth with a willing heart, and I will be their savior. You know, go up to the street corner, he said, and, and you know, tell them, come to the wedding feast. And uh, these people don't want to come. They got other things going on. Oh, I got a, I got my parent with a problem. I got to, you know, I got to go help somebody. I got visitors in my house. I can't, I can't go up. Stupid little excuses. He says, all right, you don't want to do it? I'll get others to come. And so he did. That's why we all have an opportunity, even if we aren't physically born Israel. Yahweh must either condemn sin or violate himself. The penalty of sin is always there. It will always need to be paid. We trust Yahshua to pay ours. But that's really a a very, um, you know, that's a very weighty thing, which means we don't sin after that. Or we try not to. We we will, but uh, we ask for his forgiveness and don't do it again. We either pay it with our own blood or rely on Yahshua. If you want to overcome sin, then accept Yahshua's blood for that. He, He gave us an avenue. He gave us an out, you see. He gave us a way to escape our nature, our natural sinful nature, to become in line with him, his very nature from that point forward. If Yahshua did away with the law, then he did away with sin itself, and we're no longer in need of a Savior. We don't need it. Sin is a transgression of the law. Do away with the law, you do away with sin. Do away with sin, and you don't need a law. But so far, we haven't figured out how to do away with sin without without Yahweh, without his son. Coming into line with Yahweh's laws creates harmony and happiness in our lives. No wonder we read Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. When we observe Yahweh's laws, we feel great. Don't you? When you come to a feast and enjoy the week with brethren, learning of him, don't you feel great when you leave? How many times have we seen it? People are just joyous. And then they think, "Uh uh-oh, i got to go back into this, this world. You know, you leave everything and you come and enjoy Yahweh for a week. There's nothing, nothing could compare. And why not? Because it's blessed of Yahweh. Sure, 
It should be that way because he says, obey me and you will be blessed. So when we rebel, we're miserable and fearful. You know, when you do things wrong, you're always looking over your shoulder um, and and, uh, worried about what's next because uh, you don't want to be caught or something like that. So when we rebel, we're miserable. It's axiomatic that when we move away from Yahweh, we become subject to evil influence. Satan's right there, ready to get into it, ready to grab you as much as he, as fast as he can. Those who hate the Bible are in their hearts, I believe, just not too happy. They, they deal with this world on their own without help from him, unless they turn to him. There's the difference. What better proof that his way is right and good and perfect and necessary by what happens when you get in line with it? It's, it's so much better. I remember as a kid, and I might have related this before, but I remember uh, my dad was very uh, obstinate. We would do Bible study on Sabbath, even though we were way out west, 500 miles from nobody, who believed as we did, but we would sit down, we'd study our Bible lessons, and as a uh, resistant young man at first, you know, you, you want to do everything, anything but, you know, we didn't have devices, thank goodness, but uh, just, you know, you'd, all right, I'll get out my Bible. I'll tell you what, in the first 10 minutes, I started feeling good, and by the end of the Bible study, I felt great. That's Yahweh moving, that's him's his nature taking over. And when you get in line with his word, that's what happens. You feel, you feel so blessed, and you are. So when we get together and do Bible studies, we're looking for that. We're looking for confirmation that Yahweh is there with us, and he says he will be. He'll never forsake us. So that's all we need to do is get in line and honor his word in everything we do. Teach our children. Teach our families. They may not accept that at first, but you work with them. They finally start to see it. They start to see the results in your life, and they want to see it in theirs. So uh, we never give up. We always are in there every day. Yeah, there's resistance out there, but like Yahshua, you know, he didn't fight them. He just told them what the truth was, and it's up to them. it's, It's on them. It's not on us. It's on them who don't want to accept Yahweh's ways. So uh, we pray for them, and we hope that they do come to a knowledge of truth, but um, we go, we keep moving, and we keep living for Yahweh, and I hope you do too. May Yahweh bless you.